0: This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 408, and the quote of the day is, mistakes have the power to turn you into something better than you were before. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's up boys and girls? Nick Ruffini here. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. Hope you're well. And for those of you in the States celebrating July 4th, hope you had a good, safe and happy holiday here. And for everybody else, hope you had a great weekend. I want to get right into this conversation this is with Charles Ruggiero and he's the son of the legendary Vinny Ruggiero and so we talk a lot about his father's legacy and how it affected him but and then we get really deep into this idea of mistakes and learning from those mistakes and understanding that they're okay to make these mistakes and when you're doing deep learning and you're taking chances and all these other things you're going to make mistakes and you need to learn from them and that's okay so we get really deep into that and I I think it's a very very valuable lesson for everyone to to take notice to and to incorporate into their own playing and the way that, that you're approaching things so just a ton of a ton of information from a great player so let's get into it without further ado mr charles rogero
1: charles what's going on my man thanks for doing this yeah, man. I'm glad to be here. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm doing well. I got to tell you, well, first of all, I want to thank Wolf, uh, Stephen Wolf for for connecting us. But after I had uh, Tom Breckline on the podcast and he was talking about your father mm-hmm. and then uh, I like Stephen Wolf, Kevin Stevenson uh, or Kevin Stevens and someone else like sent me a text message all within like an hour and we're like,
1: dude, you got to talk to Charles. So I'm like, it's like you have all these advocates out there that are like, Oh, that's yeah. That's it. They're not, I mean, it's funny They're It's like my, you know, my, my father's footprint. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, I didn't grow up with him. You know, Mm -hmm. he was, he, he passed away before I was really playing the drums or really have a whole lot of memory of him. He passed Mm -hmm. away when I was eight, but even before then he was, you know him and my mom were estranged, so I didn't grow up with him really in my life. So he is he has continued to show up in this way. You know what I mean? In the way that he has, you know, uh, his legacy has certainly. Um, sort of paved the way for me to, to have it a, just a little easier. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? In my, like my career, I mean, in some cases it has hindered me, but in some cases, you know, but an equal amount and probably even more cases, it's, it's like, it's greased the wheels a little bit. You right. know what I mean? Right. Like, like in this case, perp, for instance, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, so would you say uh, it hindered you? Well, like, you know, when I, uh, for instance, when I, you know, my father played in Chuck Joni's band, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is pre predates when Gad was in the band. Gad talks often about my, my father actually as being a huge influence on him. Um, you know, cause, cause my father had moved from Brooklyn to Rochester, New York to mm-hmm. be in Chuck's band. And, um, and that's where Gad's from. So, you know, he would go see him and see the band play and, and, um, uh, you know, when when I was in when I got well, when Chuck was starting, a he had a kind of a comeback thing happening mm-hmm. and get Gad played on that. And it was like sort of his he had taken a few years off and he was coming back um, into the music business and he. You know, he wanted like a hot young band. You know what I mean? He wanted to. He was an at that point kind of getting to be an elder statesman in the jazz industry, and wanted a, like a new young band. And um, and and he went to my old drum teacher, Justin DiCioccio, um, to to like find a like, he was teaching him at high school of music, and mm-hmm. so Justin knew all the, like who the, all the cats were. And uh, and Justin was like, "Oh well, you got to get Vinny's kid." And he's like, "There's no fucking way. <laughs> like, I'm not like." Cause they didn't get, cause my father was like a, he was, I mean, a crazy person. Like in a, you know what I mean? Like he was a wonderful, uh, like erudite, like he, he, he was a master drummer and, and, and was beloved by a lot of people, but he was also kind of polarizing and uh, didn't get along with everybody. And Chuck was, you know, three foot four, you know, mm-hmm. my dad's six foot five. And he would fire my dad every night and then hire him back every day. Like they didn't have a great relationship off the bandstand. And, um, and so when he was like, when he heard my name, he's like, there's no fucking way I'm hiring that guy's kid ever in a million years you know, and, you know, and he heard, and so Justin gave him a lot of other names. And I guess a lot of people, I heard 70, I doubt that's a real number, um, guys auditioned. And then he finally was like, okay, I'll, I'll hear Vinny's kid. And then I got the, you know, I ended up getting the gig in spite of it, but right. like, you know, there, you know, my father didn't, you know, he had a drug problem and was, right. you know, was, a was, a was sort of a, I don't want to say belligerent guy, but you know, was a, was a, he was a, Per, big personality and not everybody digs that you know right, what i mean right, right so right. you know so luckily more people dug it than didn't dig it so sure, sure. you know and his playing so, you know well his playing is another like that's another thing entirely his playing like you can't account for taste like not everybody you know not everybody is gonna like everybody's playing right like there's somebody out there in the world who doesn't dig elvin jones right mm-hmm. there's not probably not very many but there are people and you know, and so uh, not not sort of counting that, I would say that most people were like my father's playing was really otherworldly, like right. he was as good as any drummer that ever lived, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. so so you know that I think sometimes sometimes that outdoes like that kind of, you know, there's that conversation of like, does, can you separate the art from the person? Right. You know what I mean? And I think, and, and, you know, some people can, and I think certainly for him that that fared well for him, mm-hmm. you know, that his playing was so elite level that even the people who were like, I don't really dig that guy as a person were still taken with him, you know, right. of course. And that's not, to, and this is, I mean, and you know, But people, I think, again, I think largely people liked him as a person, you know, because he was like a maniac, like, you know, like, you know, like you hear stories, the stories that he's all, I was lucky, these older musicians in my hometown that were very, you know, that were, had traveled the world and been in huge bands and whatnot, you know, they would love to, I'd go out and see them play their little restaurant gigs, you know, when I was 14 and Mm. whatever. And, and they would, and they, you know, they love my old man and they tell me these stories. And it's just like of him doing just the craziest stuff, you know, <laughs> right. like John Bonham, Keith Moon style shit. You know what right. I mean? Like, you know, like fun drummer, crazy drummer story stuff. You know right. what I mean? Do you have like a particular story that? Uh, yeah, sure. I, have, I mean, there's a ton of them. There's one that comes to mind, though. Um, there's one that comes to mind with Joe Farrell who was a saxophone player that played with Elvin Jones and Corea, you know, and, um, and play, and he, they played together. My father and him played together in slide Hampton's octet. And, uh, so that apparently the story is, goes like this, that Joe had come back from Paris and, uh, like he, Joe had done a tour and was in Paris and had come back. And, you know, like when you can buy cologne in like Magnum size, like a gallon of cologne, <laughs> yeah. you know, so he, apparently Joe had brought back a gallon of canoe cologne, you know, right. like a old, an old school cologne. And he, and, and my dad was over his place and, <laughs> and said, and Joe, Joe was like, hey man, Vinny, you got, you got to check this out, man. Check out what I got in Paris. And my he handed my father the cologne and he took the bottle, opened it up and started drinking it because <laughs> he thought it was booze. You know, he thought he was getting, you know, he thought it was alcohol. And so... And, and Joe was like, "No, no, no, Vinny, no, no!" And grabs the bottle and takes it out. He goes, "Man, that's cologne." <laughs> and, and, appara- and apparently, my dad just put it right back up to his lips and kept drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so, like, that's you know, what I mean, it's like shit like that. You know, stories like that right, right. are the ones that. I <laughs> – You know, that I love because, you know, I didn't get to, like I said, I didn't get to grow up with him. So it was, you know, it's like I hear I got to know him sort of secondhand, which, you know, at this stage in my life, you know, and and I I, I certainly don't want to, you know, I don't I didn't know him, you know, so Mm -hmm. I can't I can't really say. But, uh, you know, it's like I I do know that. that he had, that he struggled mightily with drug and alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's not always, that doesn't always make for great parenting. So in a, you know what I mean? There is a, you know, there is a sense that, you know, I I don't know how I would have, I don't know how, how I would have fared had he like, in, you know, it, it, it could have been, it could have, it could have been, I could have been worse off, you know, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, I don't, I don't yeah.
1: know that, but it's, I, I had to stop fantasizing about what it could have been like if he was there like as if it would have you know I don't know how mm. it would have worked out. To be honest with you, he you know he might have been harder on me as a drummer, maybe I would have quit playing because I wouldn't have been able to t- maintain the his what he expected or whatever i have I really I don't know right. you know so I try not to, I try not to uh romanticize you know what could have been.
0: Does any of that hang over your head where you know how great of a drummer he was? And do you do you, do you compare your playing to him? And do you think like, do you, because I know that for me, like my dad's been, you know, a businessman his whole life. So I'm like, I always think like, all right, am I ever going to live up to like what my dad has done kind of thing? Do you ever
1: have that? Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. And it's, I mean, he played better at 21 years old. Than I can play now. Right. Like as a J like as a straight ahead jazz player, I think like, I mean, you know, and I'm no slouch. It's not like I, you know, I'm not, I'm not being falsely modest. He was, he was elite. Like mm-hmm. he was elite as a drummer. And, um, and, and, and so 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 I, I just that's a fact that I knew many years ago. I was just like, right. I'm not going to try to compare. I can't. I'm not going to try to compare. He also grew up in a time like he was friends with Elvin and Philly Joe. And, you know, I just heard my friend the other day um, has um, my father's old Gretsch set. The one Gretsch kit that that was that like after the buzzards, you know, my father passed away and sort of like a lot of his students um, went to my grandma, like went to the funeral and then went to my grandmother and said, Vinny was like a father to me. He would have wanted me to have this drum set or this symbol. And they sort of, they sort of picked apart everything they like took. They got all his drum sets and symbols. Mm. And I got up, I, I got, I got up like one drum kit and a couple of symbols, like the stuff that was left, uh, you know, through a course of events I ended up getting and using for some years. Um, But, you know, I felt that for many years as a Yamaha drum artist, I was playing Gratz drums on bebop gigs. Mm -hmm. And I felt bad. I felt kind of bad about it, you know? Right. Um, And then eventually when the Yamaha Club Customs came out, I was able to let go, which was a very cathartic thing for me to, like, let go of my father's drum set. You know, it's like, I need to be my own man at this Mm -hmm. point in my life. Like, I can't, I I don't want to, those coattails are long but I don't need them anymore. You know, I've got my own career and my own name. And that was hard for me. That transition was very difficult for me. Um, but anyway, the, 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 my, one of my best friends, he's a great engineer, um, in New York city. And I sold him the drums so that they could live in one place and they could get played all the time by guys that I know our heavyweight drummers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and like Louis Hayes, for instance, right. pl- recorded on him two, two weeks ago. Jason Brown, Joe Strasser, like I know tons of guys who've played those drums on sessions in New York City. And the other day, Jimmy Cobb was there. And my friend awesome. Glenn said, My friend was like, Jimmy Cobb's playing the drums today, you know. He sends me a text about like who's on the kit, you know? And and, and we get into a whole text thing about him telling Jimmy Cobb telling my friend Glenn the stories of my dad. You know what I mean? Like, oh, man, I, I walked in one day and I, I heard I heard some great drumming and I could swear it was Philly Joe. And then I got around the corner and I saw it was Vinny and I couldn't we used to call him Philly Joe Junior. Like, you know, like he grew up in the in a time where they were cre- where that music was being created. Yeah, I I, I I mean, I have my own voice, but like I didn't grow up in that time. Mm-hmm. So I can't. I can't, I cannot compare in my, on my best day, I can't compare. Right. But that being said, you know, I play a lot of rock and roll too. And I play like fusion gigs and Mm -hmm. I play, like I play shit that my dad probably couldn't or wouldn't or didn't, at least didn't play. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, so there's, so there's that too. Like, you know, like I really am my own guy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so. Like I can't compare to him in the in the one way, but then in the other way, like, I, it, in an opposite meaning, it's the same words. I can't compare to him because I'm just it's a different time. I'm a different kind of drummer. You yeah, know what of I course, mean? that makes sense.
0: So what yeah. made you what made you start playing drums in the first place? Was it the influence of your father, or was it just?
1: Uh, I think it was, it was twofold. I mean, it was, I, I definitely, um, I, fir- the first thing I ever wanted to be was a comedian. Mm-hmm. That was what I wanted to be first. Was, like when I was a real little kid, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine years old, I was like, I want to be a comedian. And I got, uh, yelled at by a bus driver. My like school bus driver was like, <laughs> you want to be, a- you want to get paid to tell lies. And she got real on my case about it. What? And it yeah. It was it ruined. It like cr- literally crushed my dream of that. And, it's uh, such a
0: ho- it's like, it's such a hard gig to do. Like, you're, it's like, all right, I'm not going to be a comedian. I'm going to go be
1: a drummer. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'll tell you what, the comedians. I have learned this over the last years. Comedians are the are the one group of people who have it harder than jazz musicians.
0: One hundred percent, dude. Like they have 100%. it. One hundred percent. They
1: they are they have it worse than all of us, like bar none. Yeah. They have the toughest road. They have the toughest road, the hardest job, mm-hmm. the hardest audiences. Like, man, that they have it. They are God bless every one of them. Who does that? It's incredible what That's they a
0: do. Hard, uh, that is a hard road. And I actually I just went to a comedy show a couple of weeks ago and it was it was a charity event and there was you know, you always when you go to see these comedy shows, there's always someone who's been on, you know, late night or someone who's been on this or so. But like these, you know, this like the guy was probably in his fifties. He's been doing it for thirty five years, you know, he like he yep. was on Johnny Carson and all this stuff, right? So yeah, like <laughs> right. seriously. You know, he's been doing it for years. Yeah, yeah. And it's like yeah. just never he just never made it, but it's like he's just still doing it. You know, it's that, yeah. You do
1: that's you do it because road. yeah, and the conditions that they, the love that they have for that thing, and the conditions that they have to deal with, like being on the road and the and the clubs and the treatment by the clubs and the heckling and all, you know what I mean? Blah yeah. blah blah. It's it's bananas. It's So, just do you there. still have an interest in in
0: comedy now? Like, would you ever?
1: Well, I try to be funny, <laughs> you know, in my, like in my life, I try, like, I do try to like bring joy and I don't, I think maybe that was like, that's the thing that stayed like the dream of being Richard Pryor or George Carlin did like kind of passed, but the, but the dream of sort of being a, an entertainer, which I believe my job is part of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And, you know, like, and, you know, when I have, like, when I lead, like when I have bands where I'm the leader, like I have, you know, I have my own career as a band leader, you know, I I do a lot of sideman stuff, but I also have a career as a leader. And, you know, when I'm on the mic, I try to be funny, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't always always work, but uh, (laughs) some jokes don't, some jokes don't land, doesn't land, you know, and, and, but sometimes (laughs) it does, you know, I try to, you know, like that has definitely stayed. You know, Mm -hmm. and then and then so to get back to your question, like so so what happened was my brother, my brother started playing guitar. Like this is like in the late seventies, early eighties when Mm -hmm. you know my brother was, uh, you know, we were the music that we mainly listened to was like the classic rock stations, right? It was Hendrix and Zeppelin and Boston, you know what I mean, and Aerosmith. It was that kind of stuff and my brother got really into Stevie Ray Vaughan and uh and 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 like blues guitar playing and so he my mom and my mom played a little guitar like she was in a folk band so we had an acoustic guitar in the house mm-hmm. you know and so my brother just started playing some acoustic guitar, and then my mom bought him like uh, maybe a friend gave him like an old electric guitar or something. He started, and not to be outdone by my older brother, I was like, "Well, I want to play an instrument too." And we had a drum in the house. We had a Rogers five and a half Dynasonic snare drum that my father had given to my brother at some point. Mm-hmm. And my mom and we were, you know, we didn't we weren't poor like we ate every day, but we didn't have. Like my mom was a single mom, three kids. No, it wasn't like today's single mom. Like I shouldn't be. Let me not be. uh, Say blanket statements like that. a A lot of mothers today have financial help from. Uh, from the government, the, maybe the, for the government or the, from the father, you know what I mean? Oh, right, right. Yeah. Of this course. was not, this was, my mom was like, no family help, no government help, no spousal support. It was like my mom as a secretary, three kids. It was like, so we, things were tight, you know? So her plan was to, she's like, if you're really serious, I will, will get you a hi-hat stand next. And then, and then we'll get you a bass drum, and like we were gonna piece a drum set together over mm-hmm. time. And then a, ve- and then like a real, real gift from above came, which I I was you know hanging out at the local t shirt shop like the Iron On t shirt store, but like <laughs> yeah, yeah. back in the day, it's where all the cute girls worked, you know. Ah, like, smart like, man. Like there's like there's always in in every town there's like one business where all the cute girls like, and when I was. When I moved to the, when we moved from the city to the suburbs, all the cute girls worked at the bagel store, you know, <laughs> yeah. so we'd all hang around, you know, we'd hang around All the of bagels. a sudden you like bagels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So I'm at the t-shirt world, A1 t-shirt world in Rochester, New York. And, um, and this guy walks in and with his wife, with his girlfriend at the time, they're now married. Um, and he goes, Hey, any, he, he, he asked this what is such a strange question. He said, do you guys have any jazz t-shirts? And, and the word jazz was like synonymous with my dad for me at mm-hmm. when at, at 11 years old, you know? Right. So I said, oh man, you must know my dad. And he was like, well, who's your dad? <laughs> and I said, Vinny, Vinnie Ruggiero. And he's like, and, and it turns out that that guy, his name was Steve Curry, an incredible drummer, still lives in Rochester. He was one of my dad's like star students. And he was like, oh man, you must be Charles. I remember when you were a little boy and, um, and I and I went home that day, and I was like, "Mom, I met Steve Curry, who my mom remembered and was very fond of." And she said, "I said, you know, do you think it's possible? Could we afford drum lessons?" And my mom was like, "Yeah," she without a moment of hesitation, she was like, "Absolutely! Like for that, we're gonna we'll get the money together for that." And uh, and then I took to it really quickly. Like I, I sat down at the drum set and could kind of play, mm-hmm. like. Like I, the first thing I ever did at a drum set as a as a able-bodied like not infant you know like as an able-bodied kid at a drum set was I played uh, Walk This Way by Aerosmith, which nice. is no small like no small feat yeah. in terms of in terms of independence you know for a beginning drummer, and my mom sort of saw that I took to it and so she ended up going to the bank and getting a loan for like at the time was a ton of money seven hundred dollars for for us to like retrieve my father's belongings, what was left of them from New York city back up to Rochester. And then I, you know, got the drums and I just went from there and that's kind of how it started.
0: Really? Mm -hmm. And so did you start, you started studying with, with Steven?
1: Yeah, I started studying with Steve right away. I was, you know, I would basically just cut loose. Thank God, my mom, God bless her heart and soul. Um, She was, she could sleep through it. She, I could be, I just, she was, there were no limitations on me at all. She's like, set it up, play what you want. I don't care. She, there was never a like you can't practice. There was never, like never a time when I couldn't be doing that. Really? And yeah, never, not once ever. Uh, and she just, she just let, she just like turn it on me go. And I, just, I would put like and and when I really started playing, it was a lot of Van Halen and Tower of Power like those were my go-to things right and uh, and I just would put the you know I my you know big headphones and uh, you know and I'd put the boom box and put you know plug into the boom box and just put on 96 WCMF, the rock station in mm-hmm. Rochester and just and just whatever came on, I would just play to it you know mm-hmm. I've
0: said this on the podcast so many times and I'm sure that people are tired of me hearing it, but I like playing along with records or playing along with songs is, I think is so underrated that everybody's like, you got to have this book or you got to work out of this thing. And I'm like, just
1: play, play along with some tunes. 100%. I could not agree with you more. I believe in that 100% because you're playing like you're playing with Eddie Van Halen. (laughs) Right. Like, you know, like what metronome, what's a fucking better metronome than Eddie's, like people talk, I mean, Eddie Van Halen, say what you want about his guitar soloing and guitar hero and guitar god status, all of it warranted. But like, he is the most, 100% the most underrated rhythm player in guitar history. Yeah, he's a monster. Come on, you're going to tell me that like the, the, the groove on Hot For Teacher, that, like that shit he's playing, like. You playing along with like the ultimate feel, like you're playing along with the Supremes, man. You're playing along with Use Me, Bill Withers, mm-hmm. like Gadsden. You're do, you're, you're using, you're soaking up the feeling of their playing, not just good rhythm or good whatever. And if right. you know, that's the, I, I mean, that's a huge. All my students, I'm, I'm that way with. I'm like, you got to be playing more records. Mm-hmm. Like you're not spending enough time. You know, I don't care that you can play this lick or that lick or whatever. Like, can you play along with George Benson Breeson? Like, can you really lock in a 16th note groove right, like right. a la Harvey Mason? Mm-hmm. You know, how about that for four minutes? Just like, you know what I mean? Just straight, <laughs> yeah. straight grooving for four minutes. Yeah. With like, yeah, you know, no, fills, no like like yeah. and you're learning like even learning like when, why it's a because whether you understand it, I think intellectually or not, like you're getting a feeling of like, Oh, I want to play a fill here because it's going to this place or, you know, like Mm -hmm. you're subconsciously getting like the, like how to, like how to follow harmonic motion Mm -hmm. for instance, Mm -hmm. which is like a, that's a real thing. You know what I mean? Like when the, when the, you know, when the harmony of the tune, you know, when the chord progression steps down, let's say going into the bridge, like, you, you know, why do, why does the drum fill go this way around the drums and not this way around the drums mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And try to matching those things. And I don't think that that's I mean, you can teach that, but like it's better to uh, my feeling is that it's better to to like get that os- through osmosis or like subliminally, yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah. then it becomes a part of your nature. Rather than like you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna play this fill here. You know what I mean? Or I'm gonna use I'm gonna use this technique. Yep. You know, it's yep. just like oh, this feels like that, and and that felt good, so I'm gonna cop that, and mm-hmm. and it, and, it, and it integrates into your style.
2: You know, that's yeah. my feeling yeah. about it. I, I, I agree. agree to, with
0: you. And even to add on what you're saying, I think you know if you're even if you learn how to play, use me up, right? And you sit behind the kit and you're just playing the groove. If you start playing it with the record. It's totally gonna change the way that you even play that groove, and then you're like, man, I'm actually like playing this open hi hat really loud or whatever, and you right. start to like hear dynamically like what, what right. stuff what stuff is going on, and you're like, because I I always say like I think there's a difference between being able to play the groove like mechanically play the groove and actually play the groove like you know like James Gadson is playing it or like Steve Gadd is playing it with all the nuances and and the dynamics and, and the feel and all that
1: kind of stuff. And I think you get that by playing on the record or playing with the records. I of a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I, 100%, 100%, I, I, I get into this thing with, with, with people sometimes too, about, about like, I, and I use classical music as the reference, right? Like, ha, have you ever heard of like two different versions, like two different orchestras play the same piece of music? Like there's a reason why, uh, you know the the um you know the the like th- this this um oh man, I'm struggling with this like w- why this orchestra plays this like because the music is written out. it's like it's the right. same, you know that music is like it is definitive. it is written out. you don't get to improvise sections, you know, it's right. like, oh no, that's two eighth notes, quarter note triplet, you know what I mean? it's like, it's that it's you written. gotta play that. So how does how does the like the Munich Symphony Orchestra and the Los Angeles Symphony Orchestra wh- how come those pieces can sound almost di- like different pieces of music but they're written the same well it's because of exactly what you're talking about it's because the inflection and the phrasing and the ways you know the like that's the whole point of classical music to, mm-hmm. in, to it it's not the point of it but like that's one of the things about classical music that makes it so awesome it's like well because if it was if it only could be played one way it's written one way but if it could only be played one way then why would you have different recordings wouldn't yeah. you just have the one recording of it mm-hmm. but like i i heard you know there's a there's a version of lakme this opera that is like I've heard ten versions of it, and there's one version that really hits me the best, and every other version sounds wrong to me. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's because I like I like the way that this particular orchestra and this conductor, the way that they their interpretation of those rhythms, it's the same. And so it it, it I just I guess that's goes why the
0: conductor gets all like that doesn't get all the recognition but gets a lot of the accolades because they're the one
1: who is sort of shaping that sound you know yeah right i think that's a really good point that like you know you could and i'd be interested to talk to like a professional classical musician about this because right. i don't
0: like, know that much about classical music to be honest with you so i'm showing my ignorance here with i mean even with us talking about it but i'm as you're saying this i'm like. That's why, you know, there's always different conductors and this conduct, some conductors get a lot of accolades because it's, you know,
1: I guess they're shaping that sound. Right. And, and right. Exactly. And I wonder, I, my, I wonder, cause, cause I'm not, that's a world that I'm, I'm not totally unfamiliar with, but like, that's not my world that yeah. I operate in. So I would love to actually, like, I wonder, I should call John back and say, and, 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 and ask him, do you, like, do you feel like the clay you know what I mean? Or does, or does your orchestra have, you know what I mean? Like, like, are you just, do you feel like you're just the clay that the conductor comes in and, and sort of shapes, like we're going to do it this way, you know? And, and is that the thing that you pride yourself on is being able to, is being able to sort of, you know, cause you could, cause I could walk in to a, like to the LA symphony, like I could walk in and, and, and reasonably conduct, like I could stand in front of an orchestra as they play a piece of music, <laughs> Mahler's Fifth, let's say, and I, I could get through it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so on one hand, you think, well, the orchestra has, they know what they're doing, but but the conductor really has the, you know, they like they spend time with the orchestra and they and they and they probably shape it in that way. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's the same, and, and so it goes to your point. It really is the same thing where you where like. I can play this, I can play these two eighth notes, of fifty different ways, man. Mm-hmm. Like there's, I could play it fifty different ways. and yep. I, I, I know it seems silly. Maybe not two eighth notes, but like a phrase of music. And I'm actually, I'm, you know, I'm doing a, I'm, I, I did a my music masterclass. Um, mm-hmm. my, my friend Adam Small has a has a company called My Music Masterclass, and they've done tons of great master classes with really world class musicians. And, um, and I, and I just did one for brushes and uh, it's, it'll be coming out relatively soon. I think I'm getting, I've actually gotten getting the editing, getting the, one of the, the first edit of it today, um, to look over. And I spend most of the time, like not talking about like traditional brush patterns. Cause I'm like, cause you can learn that. And like, you can learn like that anywhere. You mm-hmm. can go, there's a million places where you can learn that. What I want to talk about and what I focus on in the video is much more about like, like the sweeping hand and how that, how you utilize that. Cause I don't care the dead ding, de- ding, de- ding, de- ding. Like <laughs> I don't care about, I don't care about that. Right. Like, you know, but what is, but what the other hand is doing is really what's actually important. Um, and, and, and the, and how to phrase that and, and what, you know, most of the time I think people f- believe that phrasing is like whether you're playing on the front of the beat or the back of the beat. And that's like, this is not what phrasing is. Right. You know, I, how many different ways? And this goes to the classical music thing. It's like, how many different ways can I say I need to go to the store? Yeah. Like that, the, the, the words are I need to go to the store. But you could say, like, I need to go to the store like no one else can go. I, I have to go and that's your focus mm-hmm. or i like i need to go to the store I, I i like i have a need to do it and you know my my fiance is an actress mm-hmm. and uh, and a very good one and she and i and i marvel at her when when i see her take a new when i see her take a uh when when i see her take her pages her lines and she goes and i look at them after she's marked them up and she, and like every word she, she's like got meaning behind every word, you know, like, like to try to, you know, because, you know, I need to go to the store, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like all the, I mean, it's a a stupid sentence, but like, it just goes to show you like how many different ways you can say that and, and how each way you say it means, makes it mean something different. Right. So I can go play James Gadsden, uh, you know, I can go play use me and have it not mean shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? I th- Which I think it, happens a lot most times I think it does yeah. you know what I mean I think most times because like you know going back to what you said like people aren't really you know that the thing with today with with a lot of the a lot of the young and I'm not dogging young drummers it you know I don't want to sound like an old man like these young drummers today right but I think a lot of what's happening is like the YouTube generation the YouTube generation of learners are like They like these. I got a kid. He's he's like 17 year old drummer. He can play circles around me Mm -hmm. in terms of the breadth of his knowledge. He he knows stuff. It took me at 17. It took me, you know, he, he knows stuff. It took me. 20 years to learn because because he t- went on YouTube and he looked it up and he and you know, if I wanted to learn a Tony Williams lick, I had to like it's the worst. I had to like slow <laughs> yeah. the wreck. I had to like slow the record down and learn how like, well, how, wait a minute. How is he doing? Like I had to figure out the sticking by like, well, that's physically impossible for it to be the other way. So it's got to be this way. Right. You know, like I I had to learn the sticking because because it was physically impossible to do it otherwise. Mm -hmm. And like I had to slow it down, and and maybe you know I had to bring my VCR to my friend's house (laughs) who had a tape who had like one one video of one song of Miles with Tony Williams, and I and I'd we'd hook our VCRs up, and and you know the 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 emotional. The, the stuff that went into learning one thing made it stay with you. It mm. gave it depth. Mm. It gave it depth. Now, so uh, – but today – It's can, funny you can, that you – I'm going to interrupt you
0: really quickly. No, please do. It's but funny I, that you I, say I, that because I – for years, I could never – I never felt like I played sissy strut the right way. And I saw it. On uh, me, I guess it was YouTube or I saw some video of it and it wasn't that long ago. It was like, I don't know, 10 years ago. Well, it was maybe a little bit more than that. But and I saw Zig play it and he goes up on the hi-hat with his left hand and he drops his right hand down to play the snare. And it was like light bulb. You know, and it's like, oh my God, like, and so thinking about like all these drummers now who can just go on YouTube and not that I'm discounting, I think it's great, but like you can go on there and it's a lot easier to figure it out if you're like, oh, there's 87 videos of Elvin Jones playing now, you know, or I can find 150 videos of Zig playing Sissy Strut like that. That's right.
1: That's right. And, 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 and when you learn it, it's, it's, it's this concept, right? It's a principle of our universe, right? That when if you don't have to work for something, you don't value it. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. like I had to work to get the Oakland stroke together. (laughs) That shit did not, that was not gifted to me. Right. Like by, by any number, well, like, you know, not only Garibaldi himself, but like, 500 other drummers and different transcriptions and, and like all the, the amount of knowledge, it's just it's handed to everyone. So the thing is, is like you learn it. And what happens when you learn something, you learn it and then you go on to something new. But it took me a month to learn it. It didn't take me one day because mm-hmm. I had everyone showing me. So like you, you learn. I think what a lot of the youth is doing is they're learning it and then they move to the next thing. And so that thing that they learn, there's no depth to it. Mm-hmm. So it's, the, the it's like a humongous, it's like, I, it's like I have a, a lake that's a hundred miles deep while these other kids have an ocean, but it's like five feet. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: You know what I mean? There's, there's no, like they, there's so much more outward, but there's less depth to it. Yeah. And, and, and I, it's just like, I kind of want to, I want to shake these guys sometime and say, dude, learn it for yourself, man. Mm-hmm. Like learn. Learn, don't just because the thing is, that's what you do. You learn, and then as soon as you're done, you move on.
0: Hey, if you're looking for a drumstick that lasts longer but plays like a real drumstick, check out Promark Firegreen. Promark Firegreen drumsticks utilize a revolutionary heat tempering process that transforms ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. Unlike other drumsticks that use synthetic alternatives that transmit excessive vibrations, Firegrain drumsticks retain their natural feel, weight, and balance that you would expect from regular hickory. They're available now in classic, forward balance, and select balance across a variety of sizes. You can learn more by going to promark.com. Now let's get back into it with Charles Ruggiero. If I was someone who came to you and I was like, hey, look, man, I learned this new thing, or whatever it is. I learned this James Gadson tune, or I learned this, this pattern, or I learned this style, or whatever. How, I get? I mean, this is a really hard question, but how do I know... When I've gone deep with it and how do I know when it's time to move on
1: or how would you practice going deep with it? Well, I, I, that's a fantastic question. I think, I, I, and on and my, my instinct is to say this, my instinct is to say this. When you learn, when you're, when you've learned it, you, you move on like pe- period. Like when you, when the thing is, it's, I think what gives it the depth is, how you learn it maybe Mm -hmm. maybe that's it is like did you like i learned this thing but it does but i you know but it doesn't have it doesn't hold a lot of meaning because it doesn't like i say this to to um like i I, i'm a part of this uh uh, i'm a sober person Mm -hmm. i'll just say it i don't give a shit who knows i'm a i you know i had my own battles with drugs and alcohol and i've been sober for 10 years and congratulations man thank you very much. And, you know, easy. and it isn't easy at all. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's a superior way of life for me. And, and my life has opened up in ways that I didn't expect. And I am uh, eternally grateful for. And, um, and a lot of, and, you know, there are people, there are people that I help with that people now come to me like, cause I'm, cause I'm open about it. Mm-hmm. You know, people, people with, you know, that, that are, Dealing with prob- that problem themselves I'll often will come to me and, and ask for my help or guidance or whatever, and and I and I you know I I, I say this in that arena quite a lot. It's like the, this this concept right that that if if I if I work for something it it has more value. Like if I give you a Lamborghini, right? If I give you a Ferrari, like you're gonna be psyched on it for a couple weeks. And and then and then it's I, I can I'll virtually guarantee that like it's going to start to get dirty. The paint, you know what I mean? Like it's going to maybe get a little dent. You're not going to care. Like you just don't. But if you had to work the amount of hours that it took to earn the money to buy a Lamborghini, you're going to wash and wax that goddamn thing every Sunday yep. and you're not going to let anybody drive it. it you know, you're going to care for it in a different way because you earned it. Yep. So I think it's this, I think the it's a convoluted way to answer your question, but I think that that's really the the ticket is that it has depth when you earn it. It has depth. when, And I don't, and I think depending on what that thing is, how you earn it is is a little bit, like, that matters to the individual. Like, you might get something, you know, different drummers are different. You might have, this might come really easy to you, but that doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, some people are really good with sticking, and some people are really good with, like, they can hear it by their ears and just get, you know what I mean? And other people have to read it. And, you know, so I'm not sure what method it would take for that depth to, 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 but I think that that's it. I think there's a, there's a sense of like, man, I just have memories of like going to my friends. How was my VCR? Like just to get one Garibaldi video, like Mm -hmm. eight, eight, 18 seconds of Garibaldi, just to look at the way he, the way he looked on stage, like that mattered to me. Mm -hmm. And I had, and I had to go, I had to like go search out and get that. You know what I mean? So maybe for, and maybe because you can't roll back technology, like maybe the difference now is if you, you know, it's not good enough to see Garibaldi on video. You got to go sit, you got to go sit next to him while he's playing. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to go to the village Vanguard and sit next and sit behind Jimmy Cobb or sit, you know, I used to, we used to get to sit behind Elvin Jones and sit behind our Blakey at the village Vanguard. You know what I mean? And just be five feet away from them. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a depth to that that you don't get. I don't care how many videos you watch.
2: Man,
0: that's so interesting interesting that you say that. I went to see Steve Gadd with um, with Chick Corea uh, at Blue Note and mm-hmm. we're like and I've I'm like everyone else. I've watched a zillion Steve Gadd videos. I've seen him play in clinics, all that kind of stuff. Right. And it was me. Do you know Daniel Glass? I do know him. Yeah, I don't so, know him
1: personally, but I certainly know who he is, yeah. So Daniel and
0: I went and We were so close that my foot was literally on the stage, right? And if I put my hand out, I would have hit Steve on his back. Like that's how close we were, right? Right. And and we're like a kid in a candy store watching this show. But I I learned so much by sitting there watching him play this. And I wasn't learning licks or anything. I was just like, just like the feel and the way that he was moving around the kit. And it was like it was so effortless. And I mean, there was so many things where I was just like. Wow. Okay. Oh, that's how he does that thing. Yeah, or like that's yeah. the the energy that he's putting behind it or that's how he's yeah. interpreting what mm-hmm. the what the bass player's doing or what it's just like you and uh, you can't get that from watching a video. That's you know, right. You cannot the, the, get it from watching a video.
1: The big the, it's funny. You, I, I'm so glad that you brought that up. The big for me the big thing with live as opposed to video or audio and this was this was a defining characteristic of me in my playing for many years right mm-hmm. was I like I heard when I heard the intro uh to Jamaica by uh Dire Maker by Zeppelin mm-hmm. right yeah yeah is, you know, when I you know ka 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 Right, that Phil, mm-hmm. right? It sounds like he is a gorilla <laughs> playing the drums, right? It's just like God, God, it's so powerful. But you, but when you watch, when you when you see him play, he's not hitting that hard, mm-hmm. right? Same, so it's the same thing, right? With Get, like I grew up playing way too loud because I mistook the intensity and groove and 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 mixed professional sound from records right. as in t- as volume and intensity. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I got that wrong as a young player and had to unlearn that. Mm-hmm. But like you talk about like being next to Gad, what impressed me about him, you know, because when I first joined Manjoni's band, it was two drummers. It was me and Steve Gad for like a couple of it was almost a month of like several shows him and I both playing drums. So I at twenty one years old. What is that like? Well, I'll tell I'll tell you, I just but I yeah, wanna Because I, I wanna go into that story too. Yeah <laughs> I, but I wanna I I wanna just finish on what you talked about what you touched on, which was this this like when I saw when I see players play live, they generally the really great ones play quieter than I think they're than they they play quieter than they sound. Mm-hmm. And so, watching him play live, I thought like when you're playing, like when he's playing, or like you you think about James Gadson playing "Use Me," right? It sounds like he's going, you know, it's just like he's grooving hard, mm-hmm. but he's playing so light. It's just that it's in the pocket, and you cannot get that from watching a video, or or you have to see that live. Yeah, to so, yep. to really understand that someone can play with that kind of groove and intensity and and still play with like a sound with like a good sound Mm -hmm. hearing it live unmixed like with live from your from the drums to your ears saying like holy shit like that that's what it's supposed to sound like like you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i think a lot of that uh, you know what i mean like that's that's what's i think that may be a, a degree of what's missing too from a lot of these young super flash incredible, and I mean I'm not down do- dogging anybody. A lot of these young guys just right. blow me away. I'm just like so impressed by them. But you know, but again, there seems to be a little bit of so not as much soul as I'd like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'll trade I'll trade the breadth of your knowledge for some soul mm-hmm. any day of the week. You know what I mean?
0: And you look at somebody like like we're just talking about James Gatson, You know, you look at James like he can't play single strokes around the kit at 180 BPMs or something like that. Like, no, ne- he would just, he, but he would just never play
1: that. He can't do it at like 60 BPMs. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? God bless him. I mean, you yeah. know what I mean? But, but the beauty is, the beauty is like, you would, I would never even, I don't care. I am not missing that at all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's maybe, you bring up a good point. Maybe that's, like you know, and I'm, and I got nothing against flash and nothing against chops, you know, I got nothing against that. Um, but you know, maybe that's just like, man, if, you know, if you, if you didn't have that in your arsenal, what, what, what's left, Yeah, you know what I mean? What's left if you take, if you take that out, like, can you, you know, I still, I feel like I'm still an old school drummer that like, for me, sound and feel are what you're going to get when you hire me to play with you. Right. Sound and feel. Like, I, I have a good sound. I care about how my drums sound and my cymbals. I care about, like, I get that a compliment almost more than anything. is like, wow, your cymbals sound good. Cool. Your drums sound so good, you know? I get that, you know, and the feel of it. Like, mm-hmm. how does, like, I don't, I'm not going to really, I'm probably not going to wow anybody with my solo. I can solo a little bit. I, I You know, I'm not going to probably slay anybody with my soloing capabilities. Right. But, you know, I've had, Larry Golding, Steve, I've had Steve Gadd. Steve Gadd actually, this is the best compliment I ever got. I was at NAMM and Steve, it was, and it just so happened, we were at the Zildjian booth and I just so happened to like have a moment. It was me, Steve Gadd and Simon Phillips. And I didn't know, I don't know Simon very well. I've met him a few times. And Steve just took it upon himself to introduce us. He's like, oh, do you know Charles? And, and Simon's like, no, no. And Steve turned to him and goes, man, you should hear this kid play Time. And I just and like I was like, you can take the Lord can take me right now. <laughs> right. You're like, I don't give a shit if anyone ever says anything nice about me again. Steve Gad right. said that I played time like well. To to Simon Phillips, no <laughs> right. like no less. You know what I mean? I was like, holy Christ. Like that was the greatest, you know, it and doesn't, I mean, like, it doesn't get much better than that in terms of compliments, right? Yeah. Yeah, Nathan, like Nathan East, Daryl Jones, I've had Larry Goldings. I've had, I've, you know, I've had uh, like I've had the luck to play with some elite players in the music industry, and and that's the compliment that gets passed to me probably the most It's like, man, that felt great.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's okay. what gets you hired and gets you coming back for the gig.
1: Yeah, you know what I mean. I can't. I'm not really that good at <laughs> singles around the kid at 180 or right. 60, for that matter. Like, it's not really my thing. Right. I'll play. I'll play Pat Boone, Debbie Boone, a hundred times in the same <laughs> song. I don't care. Just I don't care. You know what I mean? Right. But that's, you know, but, the, but I think it's moving away from that a little bit. Like modern music has moved away from that to a degree. And sometimes I feel like a dinosaur in that mm-hmm. way, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Sometimes I feel like, wow, you know, that's like, that's, I go out and see people. I'm just like, that is not. That is not what I'm into, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's not what yeah. you know, and that's cool. Like it comes, it'll come around. It always does, you know what I, I mean? It'll, I always, always wondered
0: is it a is it a realization at some point? Like was there at some point in your playing where you realized you're not going to be that person and you were like I'm going to focus on this other stuff? Like for me, I would see all these people playing and I'm like I'm just not. Like I'm not, you know. I mean, like, obviously, you look at like somebody like Tony Royster, and you're like, okay, I'm just not going to be that dude. But even guys that I would see who I was coming up with, and I would, like stuff that they were playing, I'm like, man, I'm just not, I'm just not an athlete like that. It's just not going to happen. But like, I'll play the shit out of like some Bill Withers or some Tower of Power or some, right. you know, and just stay in the pocket and and be there. And I don't know if that's like a. Do you think that's a. uh self-awareness thing or do you think that is like a decision that you make that you're going to be that one guy or another?
1: I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I always in, in, I think that begs the discussion there. There's a, there's a famous story. I don't know if it's true, but there's a story that Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie, someone recounted a conversation that they had Mm -hmm. and Dizzy being the acrobatic, like athlete kind of trumpet player really high chops and like re- just could play super fast and was like, you know, he had a lot of acrobatic type, you know, playing elements in his playing. Whereas Miles, that was not his thing. Mm-hmm. Miles, a lot more space, a lot more different kind of player, you know, and them having a conversation about like, and I, and I, I and to sort of paraphrase, I think Miles's take was like, I don't, I just don't hear music that way. Right. And, and Dizzy's thing was like, yeah, but that's cause you can't, because you don't have the facility to. So I, I'm not really sure, like, to me, that's like a question for the ages. It's a little bit like chicken or the egg. Like, do you, do you know, do, do I just not hear blazing chops kind of playing because I can't play that way? Cause I never put in the effort to do it. Or did I never put in the effort to do it because I don't hear it that way and don't really care to? Because every once in a while I want to pull off some, like, super blazing and I just, like, don't have it. It's just not there. You know what I mean? And I have a little – I have a couple of, like – Fakey ways to like make it sound like I can play real fast, (laughs) you know. And like, and I'll bust that shit out from time to time. And like, and it'll, you know what I mean. I use this thing
0: called a paradiddle. It works (laughs) all the time. Yeah, you
1: know. And I got, I got some stuff that works for me. But there's definitely times where I go for something that. But I bet you any amount of money that there's shit that Weckle goes for that he can't make. Right. You know what I mean? I bet you there's stuff that Vinny goes. Maybe not Vinny. Vinny's a little, Vinny's yeah. too, just too weird for all of us. Like, it's, you know what I mean? Right. I, I, what I admire, like, what I admire there is like, he, <laughs> I love like, how you corrected yourself and you're like, yeah. I, Amy, even Vinny, all right, maybe not Vinny, yeah. but everyone else, all, all the other humans. <laughs> yeah, all the human players could, you know, I, I, I just, I get that. I, I, I wonder about that. I wonder if, you know, and so I try not to feel bad that there is, that there's a threshold that's I mean, hopefully there's always a threshold that's beyond me because I don't ever want to feel like I've done it all or, or can just do anything at any time. Like I think it would be fun to feel that way for a little while. Yeah. But but at a certain point, like, wouldn't it be kind of weird to like just be the best in a way that like there was nothing more to go for? That'd be a, that'd be a horrible existence. I, I feel like that would be that wouldn't. I think it's a it's a young man's game, I think, to to feel that way. like I wish I could just do anything, you know, and just be perfect at it. And it's just like, well, but then where but like you still got your rest of your life, like, where do you go? like yeah. what what yeah. more? Like don't you always want there to be a little bit beyond? You know, and there's and look, I'll tell you what, there's nothing, there's nothing. I think audiences love more. I, I really believe this. I think that there's I think that there's an element when you fucking go for something and you blow it and you, and you have that guttural reaction, you know, where you just like, where you, where you do it and you uh, it happens to me all the time where I'll go for something and I'll yell out, "I'm ah! you know, cause I didn't make people shit their pants. Lo- <laughs> I think people really respond to that because it's that moment of like, you are not, you know, there's this admiration, admiration, admiration. And then it's like, but then you're you are imperfect, just like me. Mm-hmm. I think that th- I think that that's a, a a place where humans join in their in their like in their shortcomings and in their imperfections. Yeah. And I think that that's a moment, you know what I mean? So I I never want to be it's like weddings. Like what? Like it's always the ones that you talk about are the ones where some like man and then the wedding cake fell and like it's something. <laughs> yeah. To, it's something, you know what I mean? Rather than like, oh my God, it was, it was beautiful and everybody was perfect and everything was perfect. Yeah. And then that's all you say. But if, you know, let's talk about the one where the bride was hammered and then uh-huh. she was, you know what I mean? Like, oh, oh dude, that. I was, <laughs> I got a crazy wedding story. <laughs> tell it, tell it, tell you it. You really she want to say, hear it? Of course I do. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like this is, this I went how, to,
0: I went she, to, I, mean, here. I went to a friend of a friend's wedding Uh, or or I shouldn't say that it was my ex girlfriend's like friend of a friend long. I don't know how they were even friends. I think they were more of like acquaintances. Anyway, we were invited and her, you know, they're getting ready to start the wedding and they're like, oh, the groom's not here. He's not, he's not, he's not coming. And we were like, oh no, like left at the altar. He was in jail for, uh, for hiring a prostitute at his bachelor party the night before. Yeah. Perfect. And they Perfect. still got married because she was like, "Well, I told him that we would stick through it, you know, like for better yeah. or for worse." And I was like, "It yeah. ha- probably has nothing to do with the fact that he has eighty million dollars in the
1: bank, you know." Wow. Well, yeah, that might have helped. That might help. That might yeah. help. But that I couldn't. Like- I, I don't even remember
0: who the girl. Like, I couldn't pick her out of a lineup. It was just funny that I was like, "I got to be at this wedding."
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the stuff. That's the stuff you talk about in your life. You don't talk about like, again, you just don't talk about the perfect weddings. Oh, their wedding was beautiful. Everything was perfect. Yeah. Well, then what are we going to talk about? My friend, my friend here, I'll, 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 I'll tell you one of my favorite stories in the world. My friend, a good friend of mine named Emily, she was a, she's a chef, a professional chef Mm -hmm. and she worked and she worked for a family. Uh, wealthy family that had had put like this kind of money like they put they the foo fighters played in their backyard during uh, like to raise money for the obama campaign wow like it was like that kind like that kind of money How, you know what i mean right, like right. that kind of she worked for that kind of family so at this event, right with the food Fighters and Obama, and she she's an incredible chef. So like it's standard procedure for people to be so blown away by the food that they want to meet the chef. Mm-hmm. And so so Obama put forth that he wanted to to meet the chef and congratulate her and and uh, and or talk to her for a second or whatever. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation with someone like that kind of. I, I got to play for Clinton many many years ago, and mm-hmm. it's like the Secret Service thing is really boy, is it tight? It is tight. It's like a real thing. <laughs> it, it's a serious, serious thing. And nothing like you cannot like make a move without them knowing right. what is going on. Like they're really on it. And so, so Emily had, had been making food for, I don't know how many hundreds of people were at this thing, but it was a, it was a big event, you know? And so, um, and so, so She'd been on her feet all day cooking, and 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 so she got wind that Obama wanted to meet her, and and um and she real and she realized that she hadn't eaten anything. She's like, "Well, we don't have time now, so let's just get let's get her." And so that so they come in, so they're going to bring Obama to the kitchen mm-hmm. and have him meet. And have is he the meet president him. at this time? He is the president of the United States. Oh, wow. okay. He's the president of the United States. This is like t- maybe eight eight years ago, or something. right? Or maybe no less, maybe six years ago. So there, this is happening, uh, and so they bring him into the kitchen rather than try to bring everybody to where he is. It's easier for the security to do, do it that way. And so, what's happening is is they've lined up everyone in the kitchen, and they're meeting him, and then and then like person one goes to the right, person two goes to the left, person three goes to the right, person four goes. To the, so he's going through. And, and she's in the line. She's the last one because she's the head chef, right. right? All the other kitchen help is, is going this way, that way, this way, that way. So she finally – and she's starting to feel kind of lightheaded because she hasn't <laughs> eaten in 12 hours. She walks up to the president and he, and he goes, hello, Emily. And she just looks at him dead in the face and goes, I go both ways. And faints. <laughs> <laughs> like passes out right at his feet, like, like says mean, like in her mind, she was like, I can, it's nice to meet you. Which way would you like me to go? Cause I can go either to the left or to the right. <laughs> right. Was, I'm sure like in her brain, what she was, but she just looked, looked at him and said, I go both ways and, and falls to his feet. So she's telling me this story and I'm like, and she's like, Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe this is like, it's the pride my favorite president ever. And the bed, blah, blah, blah. And she's just like, so in love with the guy. And she's just mortified. And I'm telling her, I said, I said, are you kidding me? He's going to tell that story yeah. forever. Yeah, Like that's like, that's the fun stuff. You know, like how many people is he member? Like, thank you very much, Obama. Oh, it would have been sir. like,
2: yeah. Oh, who cares? Right. You know, right. I met,
1: I met, I met the president and he couldn't pick me out of all, you know, you're never going to remember, you know what I mean? It's like that, it's that thing. And so it, 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 just, so there's always, I don't know how we got on this, but there's, I, I love, I love that. I, I've learned to not care so much. And it, when it doesn't go the way I think it should go, mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, I I've outgrown I've outgrown that because I feel like that's that's not always even where the best stuff is.
2: Yeah. The most no, me- the
1: memories of your life are in are in the moments where it goes wonky. You know what I mean? Because because mm-hmm. because because you're always going to make mistakes, you're all there's no avoiding. There's too many factors in the world like on a gig, even just in that controlled environment, there's like, there's too many things that can go wrong. And so like a real professional isn't someone who doesn't make mistakes. A real professional is someone who like can recover from a mistake with some class or, right. or you know, either, either you don't know or or you do know and they made it work anyway in mm-hmm. some kind of way, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that is a far more, valuable tool to have in your kit than like I can fucking do anything man Yeah,
0: and how do you relate to that even you know like even if you see a video like on social media or something and it's like just someone no one's making mistakes or and it's like I can't I can't relate to that I don't right I, it just doesn't it doesn't resonate
1: with me because I'm like I screw
0: everything up all the time yeah so. yeah.
1: yeah Bob Reynolds a great saxophone player he, he's got a tune that or maybe a, a whole record called can't wait for perfect Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You just can't I love it. It's like, if you do that, if I was waiting for perfect, my first record would have never came out. My second record would have never came out. My third record were, you know what I mean? Like yep. you can't very few things in the world are ever going to be like, man, that's exactly what I wanted.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And yeah. if you wait and if you're waiting for that, you're missing out on your whole, every other 99% of what goes on. Yeah.
0: I always say perfection is the new procrastination. Yeah, you because know, well, just because everybody's like, "Wow, well, I'm just waiting for this thing to be perfect," or my record, like, when's the record coming out? Well, we got to do a couple more things. We got to do this. Blah, blah, blah. Like, if I waited for the podcast to be perfect, I wouldn't have released an episode yet. Like, That's I screw right. exactly up everything right. with this podcast Bracket. all the time.
1: You know? Yep, I totally get it. Yeah, my this brush video, I, I I remember when we I walked out of the studio and I felt pretty good that I I I had because I had sort of made a rough outline of what I wanted to do and. But I kind of wanted to, like, have an element of, like, let's wing. I just want to talk about what I talk about. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I, when I left, I was like, man, I, I really hope that that came out okay. <laughs> and, there's, and, there, and there's a really good chance that I left a bunch of shit out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's yep. no doubt that I left stuff out, stuff that I wish that I would have put in. Yep. But, like, oh, fucking well. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to go redo it. Yeah, you know what i mean like maybe maybe that maybe you know maybe that'll lead to like charles rogero's brush master class volume two who knows you know right. what i mean maybe like maybe it turns into a good thing that it's like that you know where where you end up you know where you end up with doing more than you even believe that you could you know what i mean right. so right, right. you know it's interesting
0: that you you talk about you know things that we do and then looking back and seeing if they're you know after you look at me like ah, oh, you know it actually wasn't that bad or you know you go back and listen to the after you do the 19th take you're like oh let's go back and listen to the first take and the first take's actually really good reminds mm-hmm. me of there's the um john Mayer trio record it's called uh try oh and, i love that record
1: so i love that
0: record. so t- i don't tell me if you've ever heard this when when they're playing vultures right they start the tune jordan's laying it down obviously And right, like, it's, I think it's the snare right before uh, John comes in, but, like, it's right right before the top of the tune again, Uh and uh he kind of, like, shanks the snare. Right. And so it's like, cut, cut," and then it's kind of (laughs) like, click, pop, and and you're like, whoa, and it's so glaring. And yeah. I, they could have totally swapped that out with another snare, and no one would have known the wiser. And I don't know if it, like who made the decision to keep it in there, but to me, I love that beauty of creating something that has never existed before. Mm-hmm. And whether it's you know it's a fail or whether it's you know you didn't hit the snare correctly, or whatever, it's like you just created something that never existed before, and we're gonna live with it, and that's it.
1: Yeah. I I really, I'm a huge, a huge fan of that. When, when my, when my, my mother passed away when I was about 26 and I had, was living in Rochester at the time. And I had been out of New York city for about a year and a half. And I moved back to the city right, basically right after she passed away. And my, my best friend, Jeremy Manasi, a great piano player, we had another sort of periphery friend that had sort of come into our come way deep into our circle. Now one of my best friends for the last twenty years, mm-hmm. Ian Hendrickson Smith. He plays. He's in the Tonight Show band. He's he plays saxophone in the Roots. Basically. Oh, okay, oh, okay. okay. So Ian and my friend Jeremy and I were when we spent a summer together. Uh, when we spent a lot more time than that, but like, but this particular summer after my mom passed away was really instrumental in, to me in this case, because those guys in my absence, they had become very, very close. And during that time, one of the tenants of their friendship and, and the friendship and the, and the musicality of that crew of guys was they were very much in the head of like, because we recorded a lot. It was when mobile recording started becoming mm-hmm. like really accessible. And so we were doing a lot of it. And I was still in that mindset of like, oh, it's not good enough. Like, it's not like Elvin Jones never made a mistake, which is horse shit. You know what I mean? Or like (laughs) Philly Joe never, you know, like those guys did mess up or whatever. And I, and, and those guys had a real sense of like, this is a recording of us today. The only thing that matters is that it's honest to where we are today. We will, we will record again. And we, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like a pitcher in it's like a relief pitcher in baseball, yep. right? Mariano Rivera, best in the world, goes out, gets shelled. He's like, well, good thing I get to go back out there tomorrow. Yep. You know what I mean? That yep. I learned so much from team sports about music, about that, like about that element of like, this is where I am today. Mm-hmm. Like, this is where I am right now. And this is what, you know, there, there's so many instances of great performances where like you're talking about where. You know, isn't it in Asia where Gad, GAD, you know, uh, at the end of the first solo kind of section for Gad, you know, he clicks his sticks together. I'm not totally sure that that's him clicking his sticks together. That might have been him going for the snare drum and hitting and, the rim. And missing. And well, miss- Jeff
0: Picaro talks about that in, in, uh, in the Michael McDonald tune, um, I Keep Forgetting. Uh-huh. And he's like, I, we were playing that tune and I, my hands were so tensed up because I was playing the 16th note groove that I dropped the stick and you can hear it in the recording. Right. And it's like, click, 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 And he like, total, it's like, and they're like, Fuck, leave it there.
1: Yeah, character, man. It's and that's character. Jeff Peccaro. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, so I'm gonna interject here for one second. So Charles and I are talking about these tunes that have audible mistakes that you can hear when you're listening to them. And I wanna play those examples too. And they're subtle, but they're there. So I want to let you hear them. The first one is Michael McDonald's, I Keep Forgetting," And what you're gonna hear is sort of an accented hi-hat and that is Jeff Beccaro dropping his stick and he is trying to recover during the session. So that's the first one. The second one is Steve Jordan playing on John Mayer's Vultures tune. And you can hear he sort of like flubs the snare drum. The third is Steve Gadd playing on Asia and you hear a stick click. And like Charles was saying, is it a stick click on purpose? Is he dropping his stick? Is he hitting the side of the snare? So there they are, very minute mistakes, but audible mistakes at that And So I just wanted to play a little bit of them just so you could hear exactly what we're talking about. So I wanted to give you a little bit of context and let's get back into it with Charles.
1: So I, I, am with you on that, that whole idea that, that you can, because, and, and this is the thing, right? It's e- it's, it's easy for us to talk about it, but, but let's like to give some credence to the other side of it. Like, why do people feel that way? My belief is that, like it used to be back, it used to be that you were like a relief pitcher. That, like, like I, I know that this is true for me. When I have a month of a ton of gigs where I'm playing all month long. I don't give a shit how I play on any of the gigs. I mean, obviously I do, but I mean like what I mean is I don't care if I make a mistake. I do, it it rolls right off my back. If I blow something, I just it just rolls right off cuz mm-hmm. I'm going to be playing again tomorrow. And I don't and it's just like and it doesn't it doesn't define me as a player or a human being, yep. right? But if I've only got 3 gigs in the month, like if something happens and I'm only working a couple times, like most of it I'm teaching and in the studio or whatever, and the live gig is I've only got a couple of them in a month, they become more important to me, mm-hmm. and and a mis- and a mistake becomes harder to let go because I don't because I'm not getting back on the horse in the next couple days. Yeah. So. I have had to, I have had to like really uh, learn and, and adapt, and, and 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 I mean, fortunately, I'm, I'm not in a place where I don't only do three gigs in a month anymore. Like I play enough that it's that I like it's easier for me. It's easier for me these days. And but I think, you know, I think up and coming drummers, are like there there are there are less places to play and less opportunities to play. There are still many, but it's not like it used to be where if a restaurant didn't have an iPod or a jukebox there was no live music right. so every restaurant had musicians there was a time before jukeboxes that like if you owned an establishment you paid musicians to play there to yeah. fill the otherwise it was just people talking mm-hmm. you know now and now it's it's because of iPod and jukeboxes and stuff it's like you don't need to pay people you can just put that shit on and you know you you know you don't have to worry about the guys playing too loud or not playing the songs that you like and and right. that's so there's just there's just less places to play. And I say so I think the, the commodity of a live show is more precious to people. It's more like like the average sort of weekend warrior or like up and coming drummer. You know, it's it, the, the value is way higher because it's it's a more of a precious thing. Yeah. Whereas like if you're touring, you just like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to be out there tomorrow. I'll get it right tomorrow. I'll get it right tomorrow. (laughs) And you watch Mariano Rivera. He's like, "We'll get him tomorrow. We'll get him tomorrow. We'll, you know, Jeter strikes out twenty-five times. Like, well, I'm lucky thing I got three at bats tomorrow too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of course. So I I, I think that's. I think that that's at at play. I think that that's at play there. You know, Mm -hmm. in terms of why why people are so like, you know, people are are less. There are less people that are of of our like mind in that way that, like, it's OK to make a mistake. Because right. what the fuck does Jordan care? His 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 legacy is cemented, was cemented 25 years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like his legacy is cemented. He can go out there and play. He can go out there drunk and play the worst, most bullshit show of his life. And no one's and, and it's not going to affect his career or his standing right. in the community. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. But like gym, I'm sure you know, he's not gym. sitting home like, man, I'm really – I shanked that snare and like they're talking about it on the yeah. Drummer's Resource podcast. Like he doesn't give a shit.
1: Get at, like at all. Not at all. <laughs> at all.
0: Yeah, he's, I have to be, bring it up to him be, when I have him on the podcast.
1: Yeah, he would be he would be laughing at us for talking about – like I know. we've been talking about for 15 minutes. He'd be like, you guys are ridiculous. But I mean, but obviously we're, we're, we're like, we're, we're hopefully like shedding some light on why it shouldn't be like, hopefully someone is listening to this podcast thinking like, Oh man, maybe I don't, maybe I don't have to take it. Like maybe it doesn't have to define who I am or how I feel about myself. It took me a long time to stop associating my last performance with my self esteem. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz yeah. I did that for many many years where it's like if I had a bad show, I am a piece of shit as a human. Yep. Like I'm worthless and you shouldn't want to talk to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I believed that for years. Yeah. You know, which is just it's so backwards. It's just I'm so grateful that I don't often feel that way anymore. <laughs> right. You know I mean? Cuz um, it still I mean, it still can happen. I'm of not course. Immune, I'm not immune. It's just it's less and less intense. Right. You know, right, I mean? right, right. which is, of course, kind of what growing is about. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like it's, you know, so. So where are you? Uh, where are you playing
0: lately or, or where can people catch you out there making all these mistakes? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> um, well, man, I, if you're in L.A., if you're in L.A. or, or anywhere near L.A., I have a, a bunch of really good uh, like my next two weeks is smashing. Like I'll be at the I'll be at the baked Potato on the tenth of July. I'll be at the Whiskey Agogo on the fourteenth of July. Um, I'm playing. Uh, I'm making a. I I I'm making a record with a on Thursday with somebody that's uh, that's kind of a big deal. But I don't want to say anything about it yet because it's fair enough. It's, it just because it's not. I just don't want to no, say anything about it just quite yet. But i um, and I have you know I'm playing. I've got a lot of stuff going on. I've got um a record that i made there's a band called the bird and the bee which is a great band with greg kirsten and anara george greg kirsten is the guy who is the producer that produced adele's last record oh wow hello right and he's worked with lily allen and and tons and tons and tons of people he's an incredible producer but he's was a started off as a jazz piano player and he's got a band with sort of an electronica pop band with the singer named Minara George, who's like the, the voice of an angel. And, um, they have a band called the bird and the Bee. and myself, I arranged their music for jazz trio plus singer
2: cool.
1: and Hillary Gardner, who's a great singer. She just got, got nice mention in down beach, one of the rising stars in the vocal world. Um, we made a record of, of those tunes and that's like being like, it's, it's just been mixed and that's going to be coming out later this year. That'll be my fourth record as a leader. Oh. Uh, it's co co-leading it with Hillary. So that's something to look out for. Um, I, there's a, uh, like a stoner rock, a heavy stoner rock band that I'm in, uh, intermittently called geezer, uh, with an old, uh, friend of mine named, uh, Pat Harrington. Uh, he's got this great band called geezer and, um, we played the Freak Valley Festival last year. Like uh, we did a record called "Psycho mm-hmm. Um and it's like it's like Sabbath. It's like Sabbath kind of band.
2: Nice.
1: Um, and we did that, and we toured on it. And the Freak Valley people recorded it. Uh, and that's, it turns out that's going to get put out as a live record. So ge- awesome. geezer, geezer live at, at freak Valley is going to be a thing. Uh, that's something to look out for. I've got this brush video. That's going to be coming out. Um, yeah, and, uh, of stuff going on. yeah, like I got, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm making a record with Bob, Bob, Bob Reynolds and Larry Goldings at the end of this month. Um, like that's, that's going to be happening. And, uh, and so that's something to look for. I'm producing that record. So that should be super fun. It's nice. going to be a tri- tribute to Hank Mobley, uh, which is going to be awesome. And so, yeah, I got like, you can always check Ruggiero drums.com. I, I, you know, there's always, that's a good place to find out information. And, and I'll um, link up
0: to that, like in the, in the show notes for the podcast, everything so people can find that as well.
1: Great. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I got to like, there's a, there's, and that's just like the stuff I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> well, so I, I, got, I a, encourage everyone
0: stuff. to to check out your site then to just keep an eye on all the stuff that you have going on. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank of course. Thank you. And I want to, I want to thank you first of all, for taking the time to chat with me today Two for telling us about your journey and also shedding some light on, on about your father and your, and your father's career and all, ta- all that. Uh, I also thank want to congratulate you on 10 years of sobriety. I know that is a, that is a tough road so i applaud you for that man and and just again want to thank you for for being willing to sit down and chat with me and and share all this knowledge with the listeners man i do
2: appreciate
1: it oh man I, i had a great time talking to you i could have talked to you all day and I just, I want to say thank you to you and to the, and to the listeners. And I want to, especially also, since we just sort of touched on it at the beginning, I want to make sure I say thank you to Stephen Wolf and the to Tom Breckline for just being, and Kevin Stevens too, for being just vocal supporters of mine and, and, and wonderful drummers and wonderful dudes who I just, I like, I love all three of those guys. They
0: are all three of them are great dudes. So thank, great dudes. thank, thank you guys really, for, uh, really good people and, and they connected us. So thank you. Thank them for yeah. that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, Charles. Thank you so much, man. Dude, my pleasure, man. And I will, uh, I will definitely look you up when I'm in LA. Sure.
1: All right, please do. Yeah, 100. percent You have my number. Call me up for sure, man. I will. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. For- All right, brother. I'll talk to you. All right. Bye bye.
0: That was Charles Ruggiero. Do me a favor. Check out his site, Ruggiero Drums. And also check out some stuff about his father too and see if you can find some videos of his father playing because he was a monster player as well. And I hope that you dug that. And if you haven't already, please do me a favor. Leave a rating or review on iTunes. It'll take you about 30 seconds. Won't cost you a dime. I would appreciate it. And it helps the podcast show up higher in the search results and all that fun stuff. So if you could do that, I'll love you. If not, you know the deal. I'll love you either way. But thank you so much for listening. Keep drumming, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.